Today's episode is brought to you by Slater's 5050 and the Vegas Beer Guys. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Psycho Edition. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. As always, once again, with me, the fantastic Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello to the good people, Tom. All that faith and no potatoes. (laughs) Oh, shit. Have you ever heard that saying before? Nope. Yep. (laughs) I remember thinking the same thing. I made a note. Is that a that family? My, my, is that a family saying? Is that folklore? Yeah. Where does that come from? My note just says potatoes. Wait, what? <laughs> I even I checked it on closed captions just to make sure that I wasn't just <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, of course, everyone. We are talking about Psycho Four: The Beginning, a 1990 movie. Uh, directed by Mick Garris. We have no information about how much money this movie made. Tom, this movie wasn't even released in theaters. Should we be talking about this movie? Um, In an ideal world, no. But for completest <laughs> sake, I think we should, I think we should consider it. Um, it is a TV movie, and boy, do we get that flavor, that smell of a TV movie emanating off this. But um, yeah. despite that, I think it, it, it's it's considered a legitimate sequel. And yeah. Lord knows it, it pulls a lot of the same crap that, that we talk about every week. So... <laughs> it's, it's, an honor, it's an honorary sequel, I think. Yeah. I mean, and it was on a movie channel. It was on Showtime. It's not like it was on CBS or something like that. You know, it wasn't a Sunday movie of the week. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is very true. But um, I, 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 I think I think we do have to take account of the fact that you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pause for. Um, it's kind of structured in a way that I guess if it was on Showtime. It wouldn't have had commercials, but it feels like if you wanted to throw a few commercials in, you could. Well, and you never know, it, it might have been made not knowing what it was going to be on. You know what I mean? And and so maybe it has that feel for that reason. Mm. Um, but Let me ask I'm, you this, I'm, you just know, off I'm the com- bat. I'm comfortable if you are. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get my I'm consent. fine with it. <laughs> I'd like to ask once again, do you consent? <laughs> I certainly do. We'll talk about it then. So... All faith and no potatoes. Yeah. For, for those of you that uh, listened to our mini-sode, you know that I I got a little history with this movie. I, I read that Stephen King liked this movie the best out of the Psycho sequels. So I thought, therefore, it must be better than I ever thought and watched it sometime within the last six months. And then we decided to do this for the podcast. And I realized... I, the only thing I remembered from the movie, Tom, was that Norman Bates was on the phone for more than half of it. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he really is. Um, he's on the phone and he's on the radio. So, <laughs> well, been, let me ask been, you this, we're though. We're minutes into this podcast and already 
we've mentioned three different forms of media that are not cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though. If you want... So the thing that's weird about this movie is it's like it wants to have its cake and eat it, too. 100%. Because it felt like, you know, they wanted to tell more of an origin story. So they wanted to go like a prequel. Yes. But they wanted Anthony Perkins to be in it. Mm-hmm. And this was the solution to their problem. Right. That he's telling the story. But also, you know, the the story doesn't end in the past. The story ends in the present. Yes. And that's a big So problem, you do have two complete different storylines. And you have to abandon one to finish with the other. Well, I mean, it's quite a... I mean, even though it's a TV movie, it's quite a cine-literate way of of telling this story that harks back to kind of, you know, the, the split timeline of The Godfather Part 2. Um, but... You know, what... Well, don't give it too much credit, please. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, but the di- the big, well, one of the big differences, a lot of big differences between this and The Godfather Part 2, is that, uh, you know, there was some new information in that, in the flashback sequences. And uh-huh. here we learn nothing we didn't already know. That's the thing to me about the flashbacks, is that it's it's essentially everything we heard at the end of the original Psycho. Except not except everything, but like ninety percent performed by actors who could not possibly be these characters <laughs> for various reasons. And you know, I, I, I am, I like some of the artistic risks that this film takes, but the the mistakes they make as a result of that are just too egregious to overlook. They're pretty glaring. Yeah. And, you know, I ding Psycho 2 for retconning. This is what this is far worse, I think. This is a far worse culprit in the retcon camp. Yeah. Which is which is amazing. I don't know how you retcon something when you're providing no new information at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and yet all it does is make us question the established facts, but not in an interesting way of like this might be different from how we remember right. it. Right, I was going to say, it's not like you're thinking, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe I uh, need to look at this in a new light. There is no mention anywhere in the psycho mythology that Norman's mother or aunt, whatever, Mrs. Bates, mm-hmm. was ever a young, exotic hottie Um who, for some reason, when Norman stuffed, uh, killed, uh, like, killed and then stuffed her, reimagined her as a dowdy old lady. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I was willing to give this movie some credit for making Norman an unreliable narrator who's kind of romanticizing her and turning her in. Yeah, right. To this romantic lead. But when you factor in the fact that he then reimagined her as an old lady when she was dead that just plain doesn't make sense not 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 one bit there's no way that he made also made that choice to then reimagine her as a uh, as like a dowdy old woman 
when so, she was dead. And the thing is, it's like, because in the original Psycho, they talk about, because she was buried, right? And then he dug the corpse up. Yes. Well, and no, takes yes, the corpse yes, home. Yes, yes, yes. So I began thinking, and then I don't he did know. It did again. She, yeah, and then he did it again. But I thought, did, did she decompose enough that he could imagine her as dowdy and old? Like, none of this makes sense no. that you have this smoking hot mom poisoned in a kimono and no one thinks mrs bates was in a kimono at any point in her life (laughs) yeah it just um none of it adds up it's it's i think you know retconning facts is bad retconning the essence of characters is worse and i think that's that's what this movie does which is a graver mistake and i think it's just true I don't recognize this Norman Bates, the one that Anthony Perkins is playing. Well, the one that Henry Thomas is playing as well, but I don't recognize him. Right. But I definitely don't recognize the the one that Anthony Perkins is playing. Um, they the, try to connect the two Bates just with the word inordinate. Yeah. And again, there's been nothing in the psychomythology that Norman was a wordsmith or a nerd. Right, yeah. He is, he, I mean, childlike, yes, not, but not any of those things. But when, when he's Norman Bates on the phone to the uh, talk radio show, the Gloria Ambrose show, um, yeah. he's sardonic in a way that is like, it's as if, it's as if the director's like, well, you know, Psycho was from the 60s and in movies in the 50s and 60s, everyone had this kind of swaggery sarcastic way of talking so we're just gonna do that i'm like yes that is true norman bates is definitely the exception to that right he he mumbles he doesn't use his words well he hesitates and we see absolutely none of that he's the most confident we have ever seen him Um, yeah i don't think i think that is just a plain misremembering of 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 what norman bates was in previous movies even the other two sequels can you chalk that up to, you know, I don't even know how to say it. he's better now and married? You know, you know what the one the first notes I wrote when seeing this movie I said it was, how the fuck is Norman out of prison again? And right, why yeah. is he living in a nicer house than he has ever occupied? <laughs> yeah. It does well, and so let me ask you this: because, um, what do you think this movie stands on its own, or is this supposed to be a direct sequel from the other sequels? That's a that's a great question. I don't know if I can answer it. Um, I think again, the film wants to have it both ways, but it can't, right. and it and the main reason it can't is that it makes it about genetics. Uh huh. Which, although it doesn't completely invalidate the idea, because that in that if they're keeping the Mrs. Spool storyline alive here, mm-hmm. then we're saying he gets all this bad stuff from his aunt, right? Which why I mean, would he be it's... so concerned about passing it on to his kid if it's just his aunt who has these mental problems? Yeah, but uh, mom kind of announces mental problems as well in Psycho 2 because she was also in in a home for the 
criminally insane or something. I don't know. But she was in a mental institution as well. But and they, I think they, because... Yeah, they don't, me- they I don't think mention because school at all, do they? In this movie? Yeah. No, 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 no. But this, this is but why so, like, I, I would be willing to suspend disbelief that Mrs. Spool could still exist in this universe until right. they started talking so much about it's inherited, it's the bloodline, it's... Yeah, well, so they're, for they're me... They're talking about his mother, and they never say that that's not his mother. Yeah, and for me, I saw a note on the IMDb like trivia page that said, this movie completely ignores two and three but my problem is is that there's a line in the movie where norman himself says um i didn't get away from those last murders yep. uh four years ago that's right and that's which directly is, which talking is about psycho three which is already oh that is wrong like six years ago right well, because, you're right, because I was thinking what they did was they referenced the fact that Psycho 3 was made in 1986, but didn't take into account that it was taking place in 1983. Yes. So there are fuck ups, you know, every which way but loose in this movie. And one one of the most disappointing things is when the movie starts where we... Uh, we're on a radio talk show, and I'm sure we'll talk more about what that CCH does. Pounder, baby. What that does for the movie. But um, we have Norman's doctor who treated him between the first and the second movie. Is that what it was? Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking, he well, he consulted on the case. So he exa- let me he ask you this. Him at least once. Is he supposed to be the original psychiatrist from the first movie? No. Because the character's name... Fuck. <laughs> ...is Dr. Leo Richmond. Oh, for fuck's sake. And in the first movie, his name is... I don't know the first name. But this is Richmond, M-O-N-D. And in the first movie, I think it's Richmond, M-O-N. So I was... I, I, you know, what the fuck? Because well, they have a different first name, too. And I just thought, what? What? What, what it, is this movie it's doing? Not, I mean, it can't humanly be the same guy because they're about the same age. He's about the same age as he was in 1960. No, I think he was younger in 1960. He wasn't that, he wasn't that much younger. It could be Also, son. it didn't... Anyway. Also, yeah, it doesn't help that the whole time I'm looking at that doctor, all I can think of is that Susan's dad from Seinfeld. And also the doctor from Twin Peaks. Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, he's great. But but my, my original point before that extra shit nugget was thrown into things. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't mean that because you brought it in. I just mean, like, I can't believe that this movie is even more Right. No, I know what you mean. And I gave it credit for. But the, the my original point was, I thought we were going to find out what happened to Norman the first time he was incarcerated, which is something that none of these films are prepared to talk about. Right. And we still don't talk about it, even though we have a first-hand witness to what happened. 
and, and his only job in the movie, well, for like 90% of the movie, seems to be to tell us about that, and yet we don't get there. And yet he doesn't figure out for a long time that the person calling in is not Norman Bates, who is a person that he has examined as a patient. <laughs> All right. We're just getting started with Psycho 4, the beginning. I think it's so fascinating, by the way, that they call it the beginning, even though more than half of this movie takes place in the present. But okay. At any rate, we're just getting started. We have plenty of more to say. Stick around and uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer Sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back. We're here talking about Psycho 4, The Beginning, the 1990s Showtime sequel. Um, Tom, let me ask you this. This movie essentially has two stories. We're in the past and we're in the present. Which one is the more compelling story for you? That assumes that either of them are capable of being compelling. <laughs> well, I guess I'd have I guess I'd have to go with the present day story because uh um we're so, essentially we're, we're we're raking over the same coals. Right. when it comes to the flashback. And what's interesting to me is I find that part of the story more interesting too, and that's the part of the story with like 60 minutes of Anthony Perkins on the phone. Yeah. Not fascinating for a visual medium. I I mean there's <laughs> there's nothing that dates this movie more as coming from the early 1990s as being a talk radio based story. Yeah. Line. Yeah, for sure. I mean this is in some ways like an episode of Frasier. Yeah. <laughs> um You know when I saw the synopsis at first and having I looked at the synopsis or the tagline just after I saw Psycho 3 and I naturally assumed he would be in prison or some sort of institution. And I thought he would be calling in from the prison or the institution. I wish we'd seen that movie. Yeah, that actually... I was very surprised to see him in a... A very nice suburban home. A normal human kitchen. Yeah, (laughs) making dinner. Making dinner. On his birthday. Um, I, I mean, it's a... It's 
it's strange because it is so incredibly choppy. I think I think there is something more satisfying about the present day story because it just it, it just proceeds in normal human time. Right. The flashbacks are memory based, which yeah. is an interesting choice. So we go back and forth in time based on uh, what he happens to be talking about on the phone at that time. <laughs> which, right. You know, even even the Godfather, Godfather Part Two, with all its experimentation, kept it kept them both chronological. chronological. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like human normal time. So that's a big that's a big problem, and I, and you know, I I just I spent. Every time you would flash back, I would be like, this is not what I want to see now. Right. I want to see something that I hope is coming well, up and that actually might not Yeah, be. and it's funny you say that because I kept thinking of Godfather Part Two because the one thing that that movie does so great is, you know, you're fully immersed in the Michael Corleone story and then you travel back in the past. And my first thought is like, oh, I don't want to go here. Yeah. I want to stay here. But when you watch the story from the past, when they come back to the present, you're like, no, I don't want to go back to the present. I want to stay here. Yeah. And that's the magic of that movie. And that never happens here. Like, that's just. Do you know what? Actually, the most compelling part is the is the radio show itself. It is. It, I, a, I, the, I, the, the, the drama that's going on, that's the most dramatic this film gets, which is surprising considering how much murder there is in both parts of you know both stories right is is this you know the the story of can we keep norman on the line and can we get him to admit he's norman bates and can we use what he's telling us to find him yeah that's the most interesting thing in probably the whole movie in addition to just trying to figure out why the hell john landis is in this movie (laughs) that is that is true I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things about why I think it's good that John Landis is in this movie. Oh, I think one it's is, good. One, it, one, but yeah, one is that it's an acknowledgement, you know, of of the heritage of Psycho. You know that not only was it this amazing movie, it also created all these other amazing horror movies. And right. John Landis is like the, the he's part of that, yeah, throne. But also, he's like the only person who is acting appropriately given the content of this movie. Yes. At one point that he they uh when they break the news that the doctor finally after an fucking hour or something <laughs> figures says, out you know what I think this is Norman Bates. Right. <laughs> that that uh that <laughs> that that's a fake name he gave which is also the name of a serial killer Ed, right. Ed Gein, whatever didn't fool me that's norman bates and john landis says no fucking way (laughs) and you know what in that moment i agree with him it should not have been norman bates yeah and well my other favorite part of john landis is that at some point the psychiatrist says listen i know exactly what you got to do just trace the call and then find him and john landis is the guy who says first of all we can't trace the call We are not the CIA. It's not a police department. What the fuck? Because, you know, I look at his acting and I'm like, you've pitched that performance perfectly for the movie you're in. Yeah. It's it's unsurprising because he understands, you know, as a director, he'll understand what he's got involved in. Um, Uh The actors 
in the flashback sequences, particularly the woman who plays Norma's mother slash aunt um, and her boyfriend seem to think they're in a spoof version of Psycho, whatever the scary movie version right. of Psycho is. That's what they think they're doing. And I'd like to talk about, I don't know his name, but the character that plays the boyfriend. When you first meet him, he seems to have a lazy eye. And then that lazy eye goes away. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't mention it other than I kept going. I kept thinking to myself, hey, did they hire a guy with a lazy eye for this role? That's mm. fascinating. And then I think, oh, no, no lazy eye. Wait, it's drooping again. Wait, what's going on? Which is a little insight into how fascinating those sequences are. Yeah, that yeah. you noticed a man's lazy eye. Because I didn't have much of anything else to look at. Um, I mean, I mean it, it's like, well, when I think of Psycho, I think of, like, suspense, like, build, build up to something dreadful and awful. Right. That, but the actual thing that we see is dreadful and awful is very, you don't see much of it. That That's the key to that movie. Here, like, once we, the first flashback we see is a post-taxidermy Mrs. Bates lying in bed with Norman kind of ventriloquizing her voice and getting advice from her and then stabbing someone. I'm like, you're going to lead with this? You've just, you know, like, it's, it's, we're straight in here. There's no suspense. There's no subtlety. There's no right. build-up. We're just straight into murder, taxidermy. It's like, and then you go back and show us how this happened? I also, I find it just, I find it fascinating. I like When I look back over the sequels, because this movie starts, well, not starts, but the first flashback you're seeing of Norman Bates is with, you know, this gorgeous, beautiful, young, blonde woman who kind of looks like a cheerleader or something, mm -hmm. who is just completely and totally temptuous. She's just, you know... Uh, for for what reason, I don't know, but she wants Norman Bates. And I keep thinking back over the sequels <laughs> and like, you know, could I meet any women in my life who are as transparent to Norman as they are to Norman? Like every woman that Norman meets uh, is fascinated by him and wants to be with him. You know, sometimes I ask a woman out and, and she says, yeah, that would be great. And I think to myself, oh, this is going wonderful. And then she'll say something like, but I should ask my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, you're immediately confused. Why are you going out with me if you have a boyfriend? I'd like to live in a world where every woman is single and wants you as much as these women want Norman Bates when he's kind of a weird fucked up guy. Exactly. And this is it's like. It proceeds as if it were established that Norman was a great lover. It was like yeah, yeah, exactly. As a stud and a lover, when we know exactly the opposite is true, right? Yes. I mean, we, we even I get think a he's had sex. Right? We we get that sneak peek of Norman could have sex in Psycho Three with a nun, by the way. So going back to my previous point, a nun wants to have sex with him, and he says. Let's, we have to just, we have to stop. I can't do this. And she's like, oh, it's fine. We'll just sit here. And he kind of, you know, sad head 
on the pillow next to her and she just kind of gently pets him. And it's not a problem. But that's as close as we get. Like Norman cannot, cannot, seems to not physically be able to do it. Right. And there was nothing really about women's attraction to him. It was all about his attraction to her. And, you know, like, the idea is that he substitutes an orgasm by murdering them. Yeah. Um, Essentially. But right. <laughs> when, that one, when that first woman appeared, I wrote down, I'll quote exactly to you, this woman better turn out to be Norman's fantasy because there is simply no sex encounter this perfect. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And guess what? It wasn't a fantasy. I don't even think it was romanticized through his point of view. I think this is how we're supposed to think that this is how it actually went. That it That's exactly how it happened. Right. Um, so I just don't understand that. And, you know, they invent a bunch of things about him as a young man that we've never heard of before and don't make sense in light of what we've already seen. This idea that that he seduces women with words. Yeah. Where right. the fuck does that come from? Yeah, no, that, that didn't exist before. I believe Henry Thomas is that guy, but Norman Bates isn't that guy. Yeah. I can see little Elliot doing that to women. <laughs> I can't see young Anthony Perkins doing that to women. I mean, not least because... Not just because of his uh, lifestyle choices as a person, but also because of the way the character is, is framed as this complete klutz with women. Yeah. And we get none of that here. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, we've talked a couple of times about Norman Bates, not Norman Bates, sorry, Anthony Perkins acting. Um, I had said I thought he was very wooden in Psycho 3. He was, you know, the whole movie Psycho 2 was melodramatic, but I liked him in that. And in this movie, he's given the least to do. He has most of his lines are just spoken by telephone. <laughs> And yet he, li- somehow, he literally phoned in his performance. Yeah, yeah, he literally phoned in his performance. And yet, I think it might be the best acting he does in any of the sequels. It seems so grounded, and I, I just found it really interesting to watch. I think that's why I like the, the present storyline the most, because he manages to be great just while talking on the fucking phone. Yeah, they just, and all they have to do is completely reinvent that character. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Because he's so calm, so collected, um, so sardonic. He's got a one-liner for everyone. Um, and now, you know, he's he's banging women in different historical periods. Yeah. <laughs> he has transformed into this smooth stud. Um, and Anthony Perkins is, you know, is playing what's on the page. But I don't know if... I don't know if it was just a relief for him to do something different with Norman Bates and he was just all over it and it shows. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that might it might as well be Ed Blommeyer or whatever, whatever fake name he gives. <laughs> just change his name to that character and have him played by Anthony Perkins. I'd watch that movie. Yeah. He's just a different guy. That would work, work fine for me. Because he is de facto a different guy. Yeah, I mean, he he's clearly, 
in name only is he Norman Bates? Quite. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see much kind of left of that. Um, and also, everyone else's idea of what Norman is has radically changed. Because at one point, his his uh, fiance. Spoiler alert. In, in the present day, in 1990, says to him, you're not a killer, Norman. And I'm immediately thinking, okay, let's set aside the fact that he was... It that was he is. Experience. In these sequels, he has killed as himself at least three times. Right, not yeah. Not in the guise of mother. This man is a killer. Yeah. <laughs> Factually, this man is a killer. The chilling part is that he's been let out of prison twice. Well, not prison, but, you know, insane asylums. And again, all they've got to explain that is it's the liberal justice system just lets killers out mm-hmm. at will. Yeah. And I just like, you know, he at the very least, he should be in some kind of halfway house. I don't know why I'm negotiating with this film, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel the need to just like, he should... I'm, I'm, I'm just really, a, I'm getting outraged that he's landed on his feet in the way he has after all yeah. he's done. Yeah. So maybe Reagan I'm... was right. <laughs> God, I hope not. I hope not. Well, all right. Let's take one more quick break yes. and then we're going to come out and we'll, we'll come back and we'll finish up uh, the climax of this film. Which, in my mind, really makes it almost impossible for us to pitch a sequel. So we'll talk about that right after this. Stay tuned. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu including their signature 50-50 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more can you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 50-50. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We're going to finish up talking about Psycho 4 The Beginning. Tom. Yes. Um. All right. <laughs> this, this doesn't bode well because I watched this movie yesterday. Right. But... Uh, You've forgotten it young, already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do we see anything in the past after young Norman poisons them and they die? Is there any other scene? I don't believe so. Whew. All right. So we leave after young Norman poisons mom and boyfriend. 
and we go back to the present and stay there. Now, the crux of that story is Norman is married to a nurse who works at the insane asylum that he was assigned to. And they are about to have a baby and Norman's pissed off and is... It doesn't even feel like mom's involved in this decision anymore. He's going to decide on his own to kill his wife so that the baby cannot be born because the baby will be born evil. Correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. As far as I understand. And essentially, all this does is get us back to the Bates Motel for the climax. Correct? Yeah, we we get... uh, This is the kind of... You can tell that they really want to end the franchise here because they're pulling out all the greatest hits. Yeah. In the last scene of the movie, we've seen we have seen the Bates Motel, but as this kind of like pristine, uh, like pre-war, I guess interwar version of it that is like nicer than we've ever seen it before. Well, and, and it's is interesting. The, this is the like the rundown. Yeah. Bates Motel, and I think and the, we might be and the haunted house. I think we might be back because one of the interesting things I uh, found in my notes about this movie was apparently it was shot at the Orlando Universal. (laughs) So I wonder if the Orlando Universal has they built a nice version, you know, for the for the past story. And if they went back to the Universal Hollywood. Yeah. uh, For the last one so that it would be janky and old again. I I don't really know, but um, but they obviously, just, they just had some football fans stay in there. Yeah. While, uh, Psycho three and fuck up the place. You know who was one of those fans was Leslie Barbara from uh, the Police Academy movies. He was one of the football players. We we, I, we didn't mention that part of Psycho three. I don't want to like drag us back. Definitely not now. But it was weird to see people who actually stay in motels in Bates Motel. Yeah, it was strange. <laughs> um, the. Probably the, one of the, I mean, I get where they're going. It's like all the greatest hits, driving in the rain, run down Bates Motel, um, the knife. Um, but what exactly, like, what exactly are the stakes here, I suppose? Well, um, my biggest problem with it is that he calls his wife and says, meet me at Mother's hotel or something, you know, meet me, me, me at my mother's house, meet me at my mother's house. And I kept thinking, excuse me, you are a nurse who works in a psychiatric hospital. Do not go there. When your ex-husband, not ex, when your current husband, who you know has murdered people, says, meet me at the murder house, don't go to the fucking murder house. But that's just me. And then she has this great line, or rather he has this great line, when they get there, and she's he's kind of yanking her around, and she's like, Norman, you're hurting me. And he's and and he starts walking up, and she says, Stop it, let's leave. And he says, You don't trust me. <laughs> no, of course I don't trust you. You're clearly about to murder me. Yeah, um... it's all problematic them getting to that house together. It is. I mean, yeah, it is. It is like it's 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 like greatest hits and. You know, they get they they go in there so they can burn down the house. Yeah, right. And hopefully, end the franchise for all our sakes. <laughs> but even but like, then, but then they kind of walk that back. 
by not having Norman and his unborn child and his fiance, who we've known for all of ten minutes, yeah, and we're supposed to care about. Um, even though, as you said, she is bad at her job and uh, allowed herself to be put in this situation very easily. Right. Um, by having them survive, all survive, and then probably one of the worst, one of certainly one of the weakest attempts to to kind of like pretend that you're going to have another sequel. Right, yeah. Just before the credits, a black screen with the sound of a baby crying. Mm-hmm. And ominous music to... Um, to, you know, it, it, it's trying to create this sense of lingering fear. Well... And I, I am afraid that there will be another sequel, but I'm not... But not for the right reasons, yeah. That's a it, it felt like they were trying to get the alien scurrying. Yeah. Yeah, it's, from it's aliens. Just, so, again, even in this... Even in one of its most definitive statements, is like, we're burning down the house, there's no more psycho. They walk that back, and they let Norman live, and Norman's child live. So they're basically saying, hey, you want to come and do a sequel? Go for it. How yeah. It? And while I also love, you know, it did, like... Don't use Orlando. <laughs> yeah, we burned that one down. We burned that shit down. So, but, uh, you know, it did one of my favorite movie things... Where, uh, you know, the house is burning down and it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. And then cut to daytime, firefighters are there. <laughs> and the house has been put out and Norman and his wife are limping away from the house. Yeah. Which to me says the house is burning. Norman almost traps himself in the house. He's got to go down to the fruit cellar. He has to confront mom in a rocking chair, which is like the least frightening scare in the entire series. The skinny... He looks up... And we have seen this quite a lot. Yeah, he looks up, sees the skinny legs that are stockinged, the bones that are stockinged, and then looks up and mom's rocking and then falls out of the chair towards him. And and all he does is turn around and walk up out of the... um, you know, the giant wooden doors. And so he finally gets out and his wife. But then this to me says that he and his wife just sat on the porch steps watching that thing burn for a few hours, waited until <laughs> waited until the fire department got there. The fire department didn't bother to say, hey, get the fuck out of our way. They just worked <laughs> around them, put the house out. And then as they're walking down, he and his wife are like, all right, let's follow him out. And well, this it's is a, it, it's a big house, and every single room of that house has to burn. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Norman has to go into every room, nearly get burnt by fire, go into another room, another room. Yeah, I mean it, it's fire. it. You know, I remember thinking at one point that I felt like this movie should be over, and there were twenty five more minutes. And I thought, how are there twenty five more minutes to this movie? And it was Norman walking from room to room as it's yeah. burning. Uh, it took a while. Yeah. I, we, well, the thing we haven't mentioned here, which I think is almost the strongest case against this movie, is how freely it use, it plagiarizes uh, Bernard Herrmann's original score for Psycho. Yeah, we didn't mention that. I mean, it just, 
it's the only movie that just takes originally from the original score. And, and it, it's there is there is a there's something here that like just to kind of wrap up each of these movies has this problem of like it's got this kind of inferiority complex uh-huh. when it comes to the original there there is when you get to the end credits there is a credit for uh Joseph Stefano who is the screenwriter of the original psycho He's credited in this movie as executive production consultant. Wow. Now, I have never heard of this role before on a movie. I can only imagine this is this is an overture to please don't sue us for stealing your intellectual property. Yeah, maybe. I think the um, bigger mystery is why uh, you were watching these credits so closely. Well, be- <laughs> If you had if you had seen the name Michael Orifice in the right, previous yeah. two movies, <laughs> you'd look for it again in in different production roles. <laughs> I am scanning this. I want to see what what Michael what Michael. I mean, if it come up at the end, like you, the only thing that would have redeemed this movie for me is if like at the very end, it's the credits came up and it said. A Michael Orifice film. Yeah, <laughs> because in many ways it already is. It already is. I think we should let. I think we should end it right there. <laughs> I think we'll have to have a T-shirt made up that says yeah, Michael Orifice. A film. Michael Orifice film is probably our first T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> let's face it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got for Psycho for the beginning. I think we've wrung this towel as much as we can. Uh, my name is Michael Schantz. I'm here with Tom Stewart. Stay tuned in the coming, uh, you know, week or so. We're going to let you know what our next movie is with our mini-sode. Actually, well, I guess our first mini-sode will be pitching a sequel to this fucking mess. I don't know how we're going to pitch a sequel to this, but we'll find a way somehow. Uh, stay tuned for that and uh, take care, all right? We'll see you next time. Be good. Be good.